I've seen Hi everyone, welcome to the Human Software Love Podcast. My name is Louise Campbell. I'm a digital design researcher, or UX researcher for short, and I'm privileged to have worked for some of the biggest and best technology teams and companies in the world, including Facebook. Human Software Love is a place where I share conversations and stories with my favorite people and also colleagues in digital product and service design, user research, software engineering, product management, and growth marketing. We'll also take a look at the lives of the people I interview and learn how they got to the top of their careers and what inspired them in the early years. We dive into the top five digital moments, moments that shaped their careers. And finally, we ask, what would they take with them if they were selected to go on the first trip to Mars? My very special guest this week is friend and colleague, Lynn Larson. She's a research program manager at Facebook in London. She actually joined Facebook in 2014 in their Dublin office. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Business and Psychology from Umeå University in Sweden. And she also has a Master's of Science in Consumer Business and Marketing from the prestigious Stockholm School of Business. She's originally from Sweden, from a small town 300 miles south of the Arctic Circle, where in the winter, the sun rises at 11 a.m. and sets at 1 p.m. What's so interesting about her story is how the Swedes focus on business education led Lynn to a career in the Dublin Facebook office and then a transfer to the London office, where she now manages the operations for 18 full-time user-experienced researchers. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks, Louise. Thank you. So Lynn, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in the Lynn household? So I'm from a town up north in Sweden. We're about 300 miles south of the Arctic Circle. So sun rises at about 11 o'clock in December and sets at about 1 p.m. in the afternoon. I grew up with my mother, my father and my 10-year-old sister. So I basically had three parents that looked after me. My my mother and my father both work with people. Um, so I remember early, and I was around 12, my mother decided that she wanted to learn HTML. So she signed up for this course, and she came home with this book of uh, HTML. And... Um, I was curious and we had just gotten our first computer at home. So I spent time on teaching myself how to make my own first web pages and um which was not a home page but more 
bunch of separate pages with where I put my my recipes and uh, pictures of my friends and dogs and gifts that would that would spar sparkle and that is so sweet. It was yeah. it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. And how did you um, feel when you first saw this HTML book? What what did it when you and when you opened it and you looked into the pages? What what did you think about? Can I you... thought it was pretty interesting how you would write something and then you can change the way that things looked or felt. So by just writing a couple of letters and numbers, um, you could include a picture of a rainbow and have music playing to your favorite recipe of cinnamon buns. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? When you were growing up in Sweden, what was it like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so my mother works with mentally challenged adults and my father works with children now he's a teacher for a language of sami which is the indigenous people of sweden and he teaches children wow so my sister as well she works with um, mentally challenged uh, women specifically yes so they're all very, they're all very, very um, people oriented, yeah. um, and just very grounded people yes. in general. Can you tell me a little bit about your school years and how it was for you? Yeah. So when I was in school, I if we jump. If we jump a little bit later to when I was in gymnasium, because I don't wasn't particularly interested in the first nine years of school. No. I thought it was pretty boring. I yeah. liked to be out running and playing sports and playing soccer, football, they call it here. Um, so when I was in gymnasium, I, or I guess high school is what it's referred to. Yeah. I did a lot of I continued to do a lot of sports uh, yeah. but I also was the first time when I started to uh, form my own business um, and I didn't know at the time this is an after construction because I didn't know at the time it was actually a business um, but that's when I started to have an interest in food and I created some kind of small version of a cookbook mm. that I was able to sell to a publisher at the age of 18. That's great. And what kind of recipes were in that book? And what yeah. kind of format did it take? So the book is called Cookbook for Lovers. Yeah. Or Cookbook for People in Love, depending on how you translate it. And uh, it has recipes of when you meet your loved one. So it's um, Sunday in bed, the double date dinner, quick pack picnic, and so it continues. That is so cool. Um, were you in love at the time? I was. When yeah. you read the book. Yeah. But we broke up before it was published. <laughs> was it dedicated to him? 
Thank God, no. <laughs> that would be like having a tattoo, wouldn't it? And then having having to have it like removed afterwards or something. So um, your teenage years, um, you wrote a book and it was inspired by your, your love at the time. And uh, what format did this book take? Was it, at the time, was it print only or what was... What was the landscape of digital looking like at, at that point? Yeah, so this is uh, about, this is was published in 2007. Yeah. So at the time in Sweden, there was about one book, one cookbook published per day, which is quite a lot given we're a country of about slightly less than 10 million people. Yeah. The book was printed in like, like books are, um, and because it was a very much of a gift type of book, yes. people would buy it and then they would give it to their to their friends that get married, or they would give it to their um, daughter that moved in with her boyfriend, um, and um, it was also bought by a couple of the municipalities in Sweden who would give it out to everyone that got married in the city hall to give it out oh as a gift. Oh my god, that is amazing. And if people want to get hold of that book today, where can they find it? So first they probably need to take a Swedish language course. Okay. I can see a market for this in English. You do know that, don't you? Have you thought about translating it? I did try to get a book published in the US. I went about Three years after the book was published, yes. I was in contact with a couple of agents and publishing houses to try to figure out the landscape. Yeah, and it's a tough market there. I realized early that uh, publishing a book like one does in Sweden, and mm. then you can build your brand. It's not how it works in the U.S. You build your brand and your platform, and after you've done that, that's yeah, when you can publish a book. That's when you write a book, yeah. I understand. So tell me a little bit more about how you got from Sweden to the States, because that's an interesting transition. I know a lot of our listeners will be interested in how you made that step. I did things in a bit of a different order. So after all of this cookbook publishing, I published another book, and then I got tired of Sweden and decided I wanted to move to the US. Yeah. And I found this advertising school in San Francisco and I'd never been to San Francisco. So I thought, great, I should move to San Francisco. And I was there for about one and a half years. Yes. And I had mainly fun and did some productive things there too. And I realized I wasn't one to work in ads no. or advertising. No. And then coincidentally, I fell in love. Yeah. And uh, this love brought me to a tiny little island outside of the Philippines in the Pacifics called Guam. <laughs> and... It was all wonderful and on this paradise, paradise island until about five days after my arrival where he decided he wasn't interested. So I went back to Sweden. Okay. So I took a, a 
different turn, I went back to my hometown, and that's when I went to university. It's called Umeå. Umeå, yeah, because I've seen that spelt, and I was trying to figure out how to say it. What made you decide to study the subject that you took? So I studied psychology mm-hmm. in uh, Umeå, and the reason is, I'd like to say that there was a very given reason, <laughs> but... Um, I was in my hometown, and this yeah. was essentially the only course that still had open spots because really? the class started about two okay. weeks after. Okay. And you picked a great subject, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can do so much with that. Um, and what I studied was psychology. Yeah. And um, I am interested in people and the way that people think and how they make their decisions. Yeah. Um, so I guess in a way it was just meant to be like that. Yes. I combined that with studies in economics and um, also some business stuff being lured into when you're in Sweden because everyone goes to business school. Yeah. So after I finished in uh, my undergraduate, I went on to uh, business school in, in Stockholm. Yeah. And, and how far away is that from Umeå? It's about 650 kilometers. Okay, so it's quite a way. So yeah, yeah so I, I um at I'm it's an a one hour flight, so not okay. not so bad. Um I moved to Stockholm and I was at, in school there for uh two years, um, of which one of the years um I studied abroad again back to the US. Whereabouts in the US did you go? So I spent uh one semester in Amherst, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, this cute little hippie town with beautiful colors in the fall. And then the other half in Chicago, where I wrote my thesis for the Swedish American Chamber of Commerce. Wow. And what did you write? So I wrote about how Swedish companies are using their Swedish heritage to promote their products in the United States. Great. And were there any digital moments within that? <laughs> yeah, well, IKEA was actually one of the brands that I studied. Really? Uh, okay, and cool. uh, the other one was Jevalia uh, uh, and Volvo. Oh, wow. Okay. So university was the time where, and I'm a bit of a late bloomer, when I got my first smartphone. So... Until then, I've had this really practical Nokia 3210 yes. uh, that works perfectly in the north part of Sweden because yes. it's so freaking cold so that all of these smartphone batteries they just die as soon as you go out the door <laughs> as it's maybe hitting minus 15 Celsius winter time. So my first time that I had a smartphone was during this time and that's changed the way that I think a lot of us our our lives are changing when we move from a stupid phone to a smart one. When you first got your smartphone did you have problems with the battery or what kinds of things were you thinking and, and what did you experience? I remember how I even after I got my phone I'm used to be one of those tourists that would always bring a paper map to where I would go so that I would find where I'm going. And 
This is in the States. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely in San Francisco. I picture myself standing in the corner with a big map. Okay. And you're trying to open up the map and, and then you're trying to fold it. And it's always really complicated to fold a paper yeah. map because it never folds properly. And then at some point you kind of just squish it together and you push it down. You stuff it in your bag. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that was nice to not have to do that mm. um, in a way um, with the phone. So that was probably one of the bigger changes. And what were you doing in San Francisco in the sort of the early the early San Francisco years where you were there? This was the first time where I moved outside of Sweden. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because in Sweden, everyone lives together and they are never working, never living with roommates, but always uh, we have the biggest uh, single household per capita in the world. And sometimes people live with their loved one too, of course, their partner. Uh, so I moved into a house with four people, um, four young gay men, mm. and our t- our our um, landlord yeah. uh, into a house um, in Hayes Valley. <laughs> this was the time when Hayes Valley was still kind of rough, and um, my friend who had been suggesting areas, he'd made a big cross and a skull on top of this part because he didn't think it would be appropriate for a a young woman like myself to live there. So I got to know a lot of interesting people and it's as many crazy events that happened when you live with four young gay men Uh, in San Francisco. Anything which stands out to you? Because I know you're a big fan of Burning Man. And uh, I've seen some great pictures of you there. Was that when you were first introduced to the festival? It was, actually. Yeah. But it was more, I didn't know what it was. And one of my friends, he came out one day and he, um, Stephen, had this one-piece glitter tracksuit with letter details. Yeah. And it looked like something I couldn't even picture in my wildest dreams this outfit that he was wearing and I was asked to zip him so he came out in the hallway and he asked me to zip him and when he turned around he's on his way back to his room and I asked him where he's going and he's going to a decompression party of Burning Man and that's the time where I went googling what is this festival and six years six years later that's how long it took me I finally went so Tell me about your role at Facebook. How did that come onto the horizon? So I'm a program manager for research in uh, Facebook London. I'm the first person that has this role outside of a global headquarters in Menlo Park, California. And uh, this role is essentially to partner with researchers to enable growth and increase efficiency in research programs. What that means, for example, is Here in London, we have 18 researchers spread across six different product teams. And what I do here is to 
understand some of the frictions or pain points that may be holding researchers back or slowing them down. And understanding when understanding that problem, make sure that either we get the resources mm. uh, if it comes to that we need to hire additional people, yeah. or more frequently for me to take on a project and get the right people on board yeah. and run with that project so that we can help that or those particular researchers mm. to give some time give them some time back so they can focus their time on research yes when I got the role I was an internal applicant for this one so um, if I take a step back and talk a bit of how I got into Facebook initially I started in Dublin for about three and a half years ago I started uh, the role that I applied for was an associate role on some advertiser support yes the, they were hiring like crazy, and I um, I stumbled upon this through a friend of mine who was applying also mm. and who suggested me to, to try this out. And I wasn't at first very... I wasn't at first very interested in the role itself. Mm. I decided to give it a try, and thank God I did. Yes. Um, everything went... Um, I just did what most people have to do you find a job on the website and you send in your resume yes and um on the back of that I got my interviews yes and what was it about Facebook that made the company stand out to you I I believe in the mission of Facebook so at the time although we've changed it recently is to connect the world and I I could see that Facebook is a fundamental uh, component of everyone's life. Uh, like you use that to connect with your friends, mm. and for me that just made seem like the place where if you want to jump on a spaceship, yeah. that is a spaceship that is going to go in the right direction. So imagine that you've been selected as one of the first people to go on a mission to Mars. What three things would you take with you? So the first thing that I would take, and this is just to keep me sane, is my yoga mat. (laughs) Okay. That's a good idea. I wonder if I would do sun salutations. Yeah, there in March. But anyway, the second part is, and I try to be efficient now, so I'd like to keep my teeth clean. So it'll be a tooth cleaning kit. Okay. Uh, Mouthwash, toothpaste, floss. The lot. Everything. It's a kit. Perfect. And the third thing I'd like to uh, bring is uh, a notebook with the pen yes attached to it just to write down my write down my thoughts yes. and things that will cross my mind as a place like mars mm. doesn't sound like there's a lot of stuff going on mm. so i think it's good to have something to keep me busy mm. i think as a writer as well it's important to keep keep track of your thoughts and notes Well, thank you, Lynn. Thanks for joining me today and for sharing your journey to where you are in your career today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Liz. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks so much for joining me for this week's show. My next show is in two weeks' time. And in the meantime, I want you to keep your feet on the ground, but keep reaching for the stars.